All right. Morning. It's a good day, isn't it? Yes. Got a little rain last night. Some of you were like, no, I don't like rain. I do. I love it. I love it. Well, my name is Todd. Um, I'm one of, the, one of the elders and pastors here at Cornerstone. Really thankful. If this is your first time here, we're, we are really glad that you're here. Um, if you need anything, just, just ask anybody. We'll do the best we can to help you to kind of understand who we are and what we're about. If maybe, 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 maybe God's calling you to be a part of this local church. Um, if you need a Bible this morning, we're going to be in God's Word. Um, and so we'll have some people come down the middle of the idol. We'll be able to get you a Bible if you want one. If you don't know how to kind of use your Bible, ask the person next to you. Um, that's kind of what I had to do when I was kind of starting to learn about this whole Bible thing. Or go to the front and the, you can kind of look up, up the different words. But we're going to be in Matthew is where we're going to be this morning. So if you got your Bibles, you can open up to, to chapter 16 and that's where we're going to be. Well, I do hope in so many ways that Matthew has been good for as much for you as it has been for me. I love studying this book. And I think one of the best things about it is, is that we get to just get a picture of Jesus, which we need so badly in our world today. I think sometimes we, we give people a lot of things, but to not give them Jesus is a travesty. And the thing that this book does for us is it puts Jesus Christ at the absolute center of the, of the story, making sure we don't miss him, and demands we make a decision about what we're going to do with him. Now, what we're going to talk about today is really important for you to understand. I don't care if you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, because we're going to talk about this idea of blindness. Now, if you remember right, when we were in Matthew 15, we talked about these Pharisees and these scribes, kind of they were, they'd come, they were encountering Jesus. And the thing Jesus said about these Pharisees was, is that they were these blind guides. They were blind. But the question is what too? Because they were seeing what was going on. And the thing that we'll start to learn the further we begin to move through the book of Matthew is what they're blind to is this kingdom that Jesus told us to pray about that was, that was fully established in heaven. But God wants, he's bringing that kingdom to earth. They're blind to the spiritual reality of what Jesus Christ is doing. They don't, they don't see it. And I've oftentimes found <clears throat> whenever I'm dealing in my own life or I'm dealing with other people, this is the basic issue. Do you honestly see Jesus for who he really is? And that's the part they didn't see. They didn't see it. They, they couldn't, their minds couldn't grasp it. And the, and the key here is, is that they're blind. Now, on some levels, everyone is spiritually blind, if we're just honest to ourselves. It doesn't matter who we are. Before I came to know Jesus, I didn't get those things. I was blind to this reality of Jesus Christ being the reigner and ruler of all things that had come to rescue people and establish his kingdom. I didn't understand that. And I would say this, even today, though I walk with Jesus and I've received the Holy Spirit, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, yeah, but we, we see it a mere dimly, right? We don't see it perfectly. But the idea is, is it's so crucial that you be able to see. And so especially if you're someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ today, or maybe you're kind of unsure what to do with him, my hope is today that you will see your desperate need and you will have your eyes open to the greatness of what Jesus is doing in this world. Now, one of the things about those with spiritual blindness, and that's what I'm going to do as we kind of look at, at chapter 16, is that the reason that they're spiritually blind is for, for three main reasons. 
The first one is just sin. You'll see this like in John 3, when Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, they talk about the idea that you must be born again, that this darkness is pervading you, and the only way that you're going to be able to see rightly is for God to do a work within you. In other words, you can't force yourself to see. In 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about the idea that Satan has blinded the eyes of those so they might not see the glorious gospel it talks about. So Satan is that way, but there's even a side of it that I'm going to get to that I want us to understand that eventually there's even a sovereign blindness that God will place upon people, which by the way, I think is one of the scariest aspects of what I'm going to preach about today. But in this particular context, Jesus gets off the boat, and I would say this, Those with spiritual blindness that he runs into, they seek other people in blindness. And we kind of get that. Like with little kids or when I was a kid in high school, isn't it always crazy? My my mom used to say to me, Todd, if you want to find trouble, you can. And you will. Blind people have a tendency to find spiritually blind people. Now, how he gets it there is that he's just come across the boat. We know this at the very end of chapter 15. He's crossed from the southeast end of the Lake of Galilee. He's coming to the northwest end of Galilee. And as soon as he gets off the boat, we find this in verse 1, he runs into the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I'm trying to imagine that moment. Jesus Christ has this incredible work of God that he's been a part of on the kind of the eastern shore of Galilee. Gentiles are getting it. There's even a lady there that we talked about that had mega faith. It was an incredible reality. And then the first thing he runs into is Pharisees and Sadducees. It's like those moments when you run into somebody you don't want to see and it's just like, oh my gosh. He steps off the boat and he just gets hit with it. Now, what I meant by they find others that are blind is this key is found inside of this idea of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time, they were like this kind of the spiritual elite, but not exactly the same exact people. They were definitely involved in some of the greatest schools from Jerusalem. They were involved in the Sanhedrin. They were involved in temple worship. But what made these Sadducees so unique about them in particular is their political connectedness. The other thing we know about these two groups of people is they did not like each other. Think Democrats, Republicans. They hated each other. But you ever heard that statement? The enemy of the enemy is my... Yeah, they were buddies. They're like, come on, buddy. Let's go confront Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is coming in and he's presenting a kingdom which is not the kingdom that they wanted. He was presenting a kingdom that was not of this world. It was a spiritual kingdom. He was presenting a kingdom in which he was king and their entire system that both of them had set up. The Sadducees, who were kind of the aristocratic group, they were rich. They controlled the temple, which means they had the money. The Pharisees, who would have been poor, but they controlled all the different synagogues throughout all the different little towns. These warring parties found a common enemy, and it was the one that had the audacity to ruin their system, which let me just say this. Jesus wants to ruin your system. Because your system is leading only to death. It has no life to it. And the thing I didn't understand before I knew Jesus, I always saw him as the eternal killjoy, this one that I didn't want anything to do with. And I love the fact that he came into my life and he snow globed. 
He wrecked what I thought was truth and he replaced it with something so much greater that we're gonna talk about. See, the thing we'll learn next week is, is you can't have your system and his kingdom. There's only one kingdom. And they didn't like it. Now, the other thing we know about these Pharisees and Sadducees is like what we learned like in, in, in Isaiah 9, it was a prophecy that gets revealed in Matthew 4 is that there was this light that had come the world was walking in darkness, it talks about. And in comes Jesus Christ. This land that he says in there was full of darkness, and it shone on them. Now, one level, you'd be like, yay, here comes the light. But we have a problem in the book of John. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They didn't want Jesus to mess with their system, their system that was so caught up in self in this world. They didn't want him to mess with that. Why? Because their works were evil. Everyone who does, not, he does these wicked things it talks about there hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. In other words, they didn't like him coming into this. And so here were these two people, groups of people, and they came and they confronted Jesus. So that's the first thing, just to keep in our mind. You always wonder why in our world system that evil people can gather together with other evil people. It's natural. Don't be shocked. You're like, oh, how could things get so terrible? I'm wondering how they don't get worse. Evil people, blind people in this case, find blind people. Okay, everybody with me? Yeah, Todd. <laughs> Sounds good. Here's the other thing. When they get together, and I'm just going to use this word for sake, they want to, you'll see this in like in John 1, seek to destroy the light. That's crucial here. Now, the way that we get that in there is they come to him, and I love this, they came to him to test him. Now, just think for a second. If they honestly knew who Jesus was, do you think they would come test him? No way. There's this pride and this arrogance that thinks, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to test them. Because the hope was, in this test that they would give him, he would be humiliated. And after he was humiliated, they would be able to, you see this like in John 8, bring a charge against him. They were trying to get rid of him. Both of them working together. They were in cahoots. Now we know later also in Matthew 22, they try to get together with a group called the Herodians, which were kind of the reigning, ruling group of people at that time. But there was this constant plotting to try to get rid of Jesus. No matter where they went or who they were around, they were just seeking to figure out, how do we get rid of Jesus? Well, if I need to partner with the scribes, I'll partner with the scribes. If I need to partner with the Sadducees, I'll partner with the Sadducees. If I need to partner with the Herodians, kind of the pro-Roman group of people within that time, I will get together with them. And the shock is, right, is that they had seen miracle after miracle and sign after sign and wonder after wonder. What was causing them to go, I, I don't think that's really who he says he is. They were blind. In Matthew 12, there was, they asked for a, a sign in there and he was doing all these incredible things and they said, yeah, but you're doing it by the power of Beelzebul. You're doing earthly signs. This is the key because when we look down inside of this in chapter 16, verse one, they didn't want an earthly sign. They didn't want what they had accused him of, these earthly signs that could have been done by demons. They wanted to see a heavenly sign. Well, what's a heavenly sign? 
Now, heavenly sign in this particular case probably comes from 1 Kings 18 when Elijah had a conflict with the prophets of Baal. We know that they were doing their thing right. If you remember right, they're cutting themselves, screaming and yelling and doing their dance and trying to get fire to come down upon the altar and upon the sacrifice. Nothing happens. Isaiah comes in, right? He loads it with water and all these other things. He calls down fire from heaven, lights up everything, right? Scares the bejeebies out of them and they go slay the priests of Baal. Now here's the thing. I was sitting there reading this and thinking that and going, you really want a sign? Knowing that's what happened to the prophets of Baal, you want a sign. That's nuts to me. This is how blind they were. I mean, at that moment, you know this. Jesus could have called down fire and not consumed a, a sacrifice. He could have consumed them. They want him to see this sign, this Joshua, like in Joshua 10, keep the sun in place for three hours. And I would say this, it's just arrogant. I'll find this every once in a while as I deal with people. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm just, I want to see some of the things. If that stuff was really true in the Bible, I want to see it. And Jesus even talks about this idea. Oh, if you didn't believe that, you're not going to believe anything I show you right now. But have you ever thought about how arrogant it is to look at the God of heaven and say, you know what, I kind of dictate how your world lives. And so give me a sign or I'm not going to believe in you. That's just arrogant. So I think that's at the core of this idea when you look at chapter, or in verse four, he talks about this group of people that was an evil and adulterous generation which we'll come back to. They'd already seen so much. There was word going all over. And this idea that I will decide and could you do a trick and I'll make up my mind on whether or not you are who you are, Jesus is like, no, I'm not gonna do that. But he says in there, look down at the very end of verse 4. I'll give you a sign of Jonah. Now, if you remember right, that comes from all the way back in chapter 12. A Christian preached on this, and he walked through this idea a little bit, and this idea of Jesus presenting a sign that would come to them, which would be his resurrection, meaning I am going to die, but three days later, I'm going to rise again. If you want your sign, there you go. It's coming. I promise you it's coming. Now, here's what's crazy to me, is that in wanting a sign, they were actually kind of revealing what was written earlier in, the, in Luke 2 about the coming of Jesus. See, in that time, Simon was coming there, and he was blessing Mary, and he said, behold, the child, Jesus Christ, that he's talking about, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed, and he, then he talks about the sword that would pierce through her soul so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. In other words, he's dividing. See, in that moment right there, the people that are the blind, that are rejecting him, that are seeking to undercut him, that are forsaking him, he is putting me, he's going, see, I told you this was going to happen. Why? Because Jesus is the sign. Jesus would talk about this. He's going to talk about it later on. I've come to divide families. I've come to divide all kinds of things to show you there's a difference between those who see and don't see. And by the way, it is still that way now. We're blind or we see. Those are the only two people. 
I think in this moment, which is so interesting, like in Mark 8, you see this. Jesus is just sitting there, and it says he sighed deeply in the spirit. You know those like moments, those of you that are parents, when your kid just continues to do the same thing over and over again? And you have this, except his, what did that sound like? Here's Jesus doing everything he's been doing, just experiencing what he did with Gentiles and his very own people still are looking at him going, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. And it says in there, he just sighed deeply in the spirit. Now, here's the part that I really want you to get that's so important to this. I've kind of been leading up to this. The problem with people that are blind is they do seek people in darkness. The problem with blindness is that they forsake the light. But eventually, these people will be abandoned by God. And that is scary to me. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in this particular text, Jesus answered them, you know, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. It's that whole red sky at night, right? Sailors, delight, red sky in the morning. In general, this is how the weather works. Now, look what he says there. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. Great job. You get how to see physical things. But here's the kicker in all this. You might be good at that, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. You're missing it. You're missing what, not the rocks got cooking, but Jesus got cooking. You're missing what's going on here. You're missing the purpose and plan of God. You don't have a clue who's in front of you right now. Oh, if you've ever talked to somebody about Jesus and they're not getting it, you kind of know what Jesus is dealing with right here. You just want them to get who Jesus Christ is, and there's just this blindness. They can understand so many things in the physical realm, but when it comes now to this interpreting the signs of the times, and it's not like a clock time, it's talking about the generation, the epic, the, the season of what's going on right now, I don't get it. The question is why? comes back to it again. The natural person, right, does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they're from God. They're folly to Him. He's not able to understand them. They're spiritually discerned. They're never going to get it, potentially. And in that moment, these are the words I want you to see this. So He left them and departed. On one deal, you're like, well, what's the big deal? He just kind of walked away. Until you understand what this word means, it actually means he abandoned them. In fact, he's never going to give a call again to the religious leaders the rest of the way through the book of Matthew. He's just saying, I'm done. That's it. You want your darkness? You can have it. That's powerful. See, in that now, what starts to happen is, is that at this moment when Jesus abandons them, you're going to watch them degenerate into spiritual blindness that you can't even imagine they go to. 
They go there because they're an evil and adulterous generation. That idea of adulterous comes from like Isaiah 54 or 5 where it talks about this idea of God longing for his people. They were like a wife to him and he wanted to show his love to them. But then in books like Jeremiah, we see this, that they were, they were going out and they were having a mistress on the side where he's like, no, I wanna, I'm pouring my love and my heart and life into you and you've rejected me for another lover. And I think this is what's happening in this particular text. He's like, I'm offering you my kingdom. I'm coming as the fulfillment of all that you've desired. But you want power, prestige, authority, money. I'm offering this to you like God offered to the people of Israel back in the Old Testament. And you're rejecting me. I think there's this side of it where we see like in Romans 1, 24 through 25, if you look there, it says, God gave them up to the lust of the hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served other, the, the creatures uh, rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. In other words, they went and found other, other, liar, other lovers. You want your darkness? You can have it. Now on one level, again, we might go, all right, but like how far do you mean that they would go? Well, in 1 Corinthians 2, he tells us how far they would go. They would actually kill the Lord of glory. Their blindness got so great that it wasn't now about undercutting or humiliating. They went to the point where they got the entire kind of crowd in that moment in Jerusalem to rise up and say, crucify him. This is how far their blindness has gone. This is how much it's been degraded. But even after he died and he gave them the sign of Jonah, it says in chapter 28, verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city, told the chief priests all that had taken place. In other words, Jesus had come back from the dead. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, how far would they go? Even trying to cover up, Jesus said, I told you I was going to give you a sign. And now you're trying to cover it up. This is what spiritual blindness does. But even going further, you see like in the story of the centurion when Jesus is talking about the religious leaders that basically have objected him, down in verse 12, it says that the sons of the kingdom, these ones that are a part of Israel, look at this, will not just be given their darkness, but will be thrown into what? Outer darkness. You want that? You can have it. It's in Matthew 22, the wedding feast. It's a guy that sneaks into a wedding. They'd offered, Jesus had offered the call to his people. His people rejected him, so they went out in the byways and highways. It says brought in all kinds of different people. And then one of the people, probably speaking of religious leaders, tries to sneak in there. And then it says in there, in verse 13, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the what? Darkness. Like, here's what I want you to see. If you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that's kind of just sitting around here, kind of looking at it, trying to figure it out, eventually I will say this, God will give you your darkness if you don't come to him. This is crucial to understand this. 
If finally you've had enough and you kind of just look at it and go, you know, I, I, I just don't see it. If I stay in that position for long enough, eventually God will give you your darkness. But it's not just that. There's some of you who are kind of sitting around going, yeah, I'm afraid of God too. I don't want anything to do with him either. I'm going to just kind of come in here and bide my time and just hope everything turns out okay. But in verse 30 of chapter 25, there's this wicked and evil servant that he talks about. This one that he was handed a talent and he did nothing with it other than just sit there and just bide his time because he was afraid of God. And look at this, verse 30. That same servant was cast, the worthless servant, into the outer darkness. What? Chapter 7. There's these ones who try to use Jesus for gain. They do all these things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says to them, I don't know you. Depart from me. And the idea is into outer darkness. This whole denying the great king of glory has serious consequences. I hope you're hearing my heart. If you're somebody here that's just sitting there going, I don't know, I want to believe, I don't want to do. I'm looking at you saying, I am begging you today. Today to cry out to that God in your blindness and say, give me sight. Because if you stay in that darkness long enough, God will give you your darkness. Don't play with that. But there's another side to this. See, on the other side, there are those with spiritual sight. And I want you to see this. This is so good. On one side, we have these people that are trying to undercut Jesus, these people that are, that are seeking others in darkness, these people that are eventually going to be abandoned by God. They degenerate into greater spiritual blindness, all those different things. But those with spiritual sight are going to be a little bit different. Now, here's the thing. You're going to see this. I just flipped them around is all I did. They're the exact opposite. So here's the first one. Those with spiritual sight seek the one in light, not others in darkness. Now, look at this in verse 5. We're going to unpack this a little bit. When the disciples reached the other side. Now, let me pull this out by the cone of Luke. The key about them reaching the other side, when you look down in verse 10, kind of at the beginning of verse 10 in Mark 8 is, is that the boat that they're in, they're with who? Jesus. Now, here's the thing about the disciples that I absolutely love. They may not have got him all the time. They may not have understood things. In fact, oftentimes they do kind of seem awkward and they seem like they're stumbling over themselves a lot. They're, they're trying to figure this thing out. But the one thing that they did incredibly, when you look at chapter 4, verse 20, they followed him. Chapter 4, verse 22, they followed him. Chapter 9, verse 9, they followed him. Chapter 10, verse 38, they followed him. Chapter 16, verse 24, that we're going to look next week, they followed him. Do you know what the key is in this whole being spiritually sighted? Being with Jesus. I mean, you get it, right? These dudes weren't that smart. They didn't have like a super special IQ, the super special sight to be able to see things. They were just as blind as the Pharisees. But the one thing that set them apart is that Jesus did choose them, but they just stayed with him. In John 10, he talks about it this way. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and look at this. I know them. I know them. 
And here's the key. They what? Follow me. You know what the secret sauce is? Follow Jesus. Follow him. Now, for some of us, we think, well, that, that's great, but follow him where? Everywhere. Now, some of them, you're going you're to be potentially like the Pharisees. Well, we're going to follow him into our world. Or the Sadducees, we're going to follow him into wealth and prestige. Or the Essenes, we're going to follow him, you know, out to the middle of nowhere. We're going to be these, these other group, the zealots, that are going to go and follow him and take over Jerusalem. We're going to go, you know, take over Washington, D.C. and rah, rule the world. No. Next week, we're going to learn, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. That's how you follow me. Follow me in humility. Follow me having to trust me. Sure, there's joy and wonder in following him, but the path of Jesus is the narrow path. The gate is a narrow path. See, it's just getting there and saying to Jesus, I'm going to follow you because these guys were the exact opposite of the Pharisees. They didn't want to forsake Jesus, the light. They wanted to forsake darkness. And let me, let me show you about them. See, on this idea of the disciples reaching the other side, to follow him meant that they must have forsaken something, right? Anytime we follow one thing, that means we turn our back on another thing. In John 6, we see this where Jesus has just done this incredible miracle with bread. He has fed these groups of people and everybody's like, no way. And then he looks at this group of people and says, I know why you want to follow me. You follow me because I'm giving you some bread. I'm feeding you. And it says in there, many of his disciples walked away. But here's what I love about these guys, these ones that had been with Jesus. He looks at them, verse 67, and says, do you want to go away? And you can make fun of Simon Peter all you want, but man, I love him. Simon Peter steps to the forefront and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. We don't fully get it, Jesus, but we're going to stay with you no matter what. Wherever you go, we're going to stay with you. Now, do they still make failures as we go along? Of course they do. Peter, man, he is the ultimate failure, right? Where he, he denies Jesus three times. But they just stayed with Jesus. They saw Jesus as the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. And even by the time we get to Matthew 19, you're going to see this. Peter said to, the, to Jesus, we have left everything and what? Followed you. If you're sitting there today going, okay, I don't, I don't fully get it, and I would just look at you and say, well, then just follow Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about what that means in the coming weeks, but just follow him. Well, but I have got so many questions. Good. Here's the cool thing about following Jesus is that, one, these guys would seek the light, and they would forsake darkness. But do you understand? Do you follow him? There's the beauty of now being taught by him. Now, let me show you what I mean out of this particular illustration. In verse 5, right, the disciples reach the other side, right? So they're chilling with Jesus, right? They get off the boat. They've just seen these incredible things happen all over the place. And all of a sudden, they looked at each other and said, uh-oh, we forgot the bread. Right? I can just imagine Peter like, John, you got the bread? I don't got the bread. Andrew, you got the bread? I don't got the bread. Simon, I told you, I don't got the bread. They were looking around each other trying to figure out what to do. And here's what's so awesome about Jesus. Everything was a teaching moment. 
If you want to disciple people, learn to be a teacher of moments. He looks at him and Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now again, let's be honest. If he would have said that to us, I would have been like, what? The Pharisee said, huh? And this is kind of what happens in verse 7. They begin discussing it among themselves saying, he gets that we didn't bring the bread, right? Do you know what Jesus was talking about? I didn't get what Jesus was talking about. But look at this. In their inability to see, Jesus keeps doing what? Teaching. They don't get it. And I love what happens next. Verse 8. Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? It's almost like, did you guys forget the 5,000 I fed? Like, you guys are all worried about the physical thing going on here. Did you guys miss that out of nothing, I fed 5,000 men, which meant thousands of women and children. Then I fed 4,000 men, meaning thousands of other women and children. You get it. I fed tens of thousands of people with some loaves and some fish. Did you miss that? Keeps going. Do you not yet perceive in other words, you're only seeing the physical right now. Do you not remember the five loaves of the 5,000, the baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets were gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? I'm not talking about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He just kept teaching. Now, here's the thing I've found with walking with Jesus. Most of my adult life of walking with him I haven't known what's going on many times. But I love the fact through the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God, as I was confused, Jesus just kept teaching. I felt so much like them. I don't know if you guys do. Maybe, maybe you're, you're better than me, but I sometimes feel like I'm stumbling, I'm confused, I'm awkward. I'm like that person, I'll never forget. I went to go take a dance lesson one time. If you've ever taken dance lessons, it's the worst thing on the planet. <laughs> like Jesus could say, take up your cross and follow me. And I'd be like, cool, Jesus, let's go. He would say, take up your dance shoes and dance with me. I'd be like, okay, you lost me. <laughs> I'm kidding. But right when you start to dance, you're like. <laughs> I thought for sure when I started dancing, I'd be like Fred Astaire, you know, just kind of. Good. For those of you that are younger, watch black and white movies. But there's just this side of it where it's like you feel this way. But in the midst of their awkwardness, in the midst of them not kind of knowing what to do, Jesus just kept teaching. He knew it. Like even that's what makes me the, the promise in Matthew 28 so powerful. He calls us to go do this incredible mission. And he says, I am with you what? Always the very end of the age. I'll be with you. I'll teach you. Just follow me. Trust me. Be with me. See, this was the promise in John 6. And that whole thing he's talking about bread he quotes back into Isaiah this, this idea that they will all be taught by, or excuse me, into, into Jeremiah 31, this idea that I will teach them. They will know. They will learn. Which brings me to the next thing. 
is that you will also then begin to mature into greater spiritual sight. See, one of the coolest things in the world is, is that Jesus saw in these guys, these are the ones I'm going to launch the mission around the world. Now, again, I've said this before, I wouldn't choose those 12. When I know about them, I'd be like, I'm not choosing those 12, but Jesus did. He saw potential with him. He saw the reality of what he was going to do through them. You know, like a really great coach, that great coach that doesn't scream and yell at you and call you names, but that coach that seems to just see inside of you what you've been created to do and just knows that capacity to just pull it out like it's supposed to. And all of a sudden you start performing at a level you never thought you would. This is what Jesus is doing. He's looking into these guys that seem to be the last people on the world you would start a mission with, but oh, he saw potential. There's a guy named Noah Lyles. I don't know how many of you know who he is. I'm a huge track and field athlete. He is now the fastest man in the world, but that's how he started. Look at him. Like who would have looked at him in the hospital and said, oh, little Noah, you're going to be the fastest man in the world. I'd look down and be like, oh man, your asthma is going to keep you from doing all kinds of great things. Except he had a mom. Oh, you don't mess with mom, do you? In this documentary I was watching, man, mom started talking about, I saw him and I told him over and over, Noah, I don't know what God has created you for, but it's not going to be limited by your capacity and your ability with asthma. And she said, then one day I saw him run and I saw it. And she said, I started to remind Noah, Noah, you can run fast. But who would have imagined this picture? (laughs) His mom. See, I think sometimes when we think of Jesus, we think of him as like, oh, you knuckleheads. No, Jesus saw this. Jesus saw a group of guys where he's like, oh, you don't understand, fellas, John 14. You're going to do greater things than me. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and watch out. See, this is what I mean. Remember I told you that Noah Lyles' mama, she saw him run the first time and she was like, oh, he's going to run fast. Look at this. Now, this should just have like lights and sirens going off all around it because the whole way through the book of Matthew, these guys are kind of not getting it. And it took like, you know, back in chapter 14, Jesus calming a storm for them to finally go, oh, you truly are the son of God. There was no storm going on. There was no craziness going on. He's just teaching them. And it says in there, I love this, then they understood It was the first time little Noah, man, he goes out and he runs and he's like, oh, I'm fast. Look at me go. They got it. That word understood means they connected the dots. They connected the dots so much it says in there, I I love, I love this, that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they must have looked at each other and said, do you get it? I get it. I get it. Do you get it? I get it. I mean, it just must have been like, we get it. Because so often they're like looking at each other going, I don't get it. Do you get it? I don't get it. Did Peter, you got it? I mean, that was almost the entire book of Matthew to this point. All of a sudden, finally, they were just, just been like, yay, we got it. Yes. Why? Because they followed Jesus. See that? They just followed Jesus. 
Next week, we're going to get into this in a, in a bigger way. We're gonna, we are going to look at counting the cost. But this story next week, I kind of couldn't resist getting to it because I think it's so awesome. Jesus is going to come and say to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they're going to all say together, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or the one of the prophets, right? Now remember, the only way they saw before who Jesus was, like we talked about back in Matthew 14, is they saw Jesus pull Peter out of the water, walking on the water, right? So I would at that point go, oh, he truly is the Son of God. But watch this, without any of that going on, Simon Peter, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, yeah. In other words, Peter probably even in his moment goes, did that come out of my mouth? Dang. And I love what Jesus does here. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not that revealed to you. It's Peter, you're not that smart. <laughs> but my Father who is in heaven gave it to you. Why? Because he was with Jesus. I think there's another side of it, like in Acts 4 when we finally see him. And let me just kind of complete that picture like I showed you of Noah Lyles. All throughout the rest of it, again, they're going to have their ups and the downs. They're going to be awkward. They're going to be trying to figure out this whole follow Jesus thing. Like I said, most of them are going to run away. Peter's going to deny him three times. They're going to be sitting in a prayer meeting in Acts 1 trying to figure out what in the world are we supposed to do. But then we're going to watch as the Holy Spirit falls on these guys. Acts 2, Peter stands up, grabs a passage out of Joel, preaches his heart out. People come to know Jesus. The church has started. Chapter 3, he's sitting there also carrying out their ministry. Chapter 4, they were healing people and all kinds of things. And they brought Peter and John in front of them. And I love what happens. Look at this. In verse four, or chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had gone to a really good Christian school. <laughs> they realized that they had gone to an incredible Bible study. They recognized that they had been with who? It's, oh, isn't that just like... <laughs> They just followed him. So what's the point of my message today? Thank you. Follow Jesus. Now we're going to learn more about what that means in the coming weeks. But for those of you that are followers of Jesus, keep following Keep following. At times it's going to seem confusing. At times it's going to feel awkward. At times you're going to wonder, am I doing this right? At times you're going to wonder all kinds of different things, but just keep following because you'll be taught. You'll be walked with. You'll grow into maturity. For those of you that don't know Jesus, can I just say this to you today? I understand you have doubts and I understand there's probably a lot of things going on in your mind right now. I'm going to tell you what I told the rest of them. Just follow Jesus. Just follow him. In this coming year, let's just follow Jesus. Let's not get caught up in all the junk that's about ready to come. Let's just faithfully follow the king. In your marriages, man, Follow Jesus. 
In your parenting, follow Jesus. I'll repeat it again. In your parenting, follow Jesus. In your parenting, follow Jesus. I've been doing it for myself, just so you know. In our jobs, follow Jesus. In our schools, follow Jesus. Now again, you're sitting there going, but Todd, I want to know more. Well then, come back next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why you're clapping. Next week, we're going to have to take up our cross and follow him. But you know what? You won't regret it. And so I'm going to bring the band up right now. And I'm going to have everyone stand up, if you could, if you're able. I know there's a lot of things going on in your life. I get that. The most important thing you can do this week, today, tomorrow, the day after that, is follow Jesus. The most important thing you can do for those you love is to help them, not to get rich, not to gain more prestige and power, but to help them follow Jesus. The greatest thing you can do for your kids and I can do for my kids, there's all kinds of things out there that are alluring. And I'm not anti-sports, but let me just say this. I don't think God calls, called us to raise great athletes. I think he called us to raise people that passionately love Jesus. I don't think he called us to raise people that go to the best schools in the nation. Now, if you go there, awesome. Praise God. The most important thing he's called you to do is to follow Jesus. It's not about helping our kids see the American dream, but a greater dream than that. The dream of a king who came and he lived the perfect life. The dream of a king who came and told you of a kingdom that was coming, not in any old way, but in power. A king that came and died so that we might be able to see the kingdom because of his work and the Holy Spirit then coming upon us. A king that right now sits at the right hand of the Father who is orchestrating all things. And a king one day who will return and he will establish his kingdom forever and forever. Amen. That is the thing. Follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.